morning. Well, good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, we were actually, some of you guys remember us, we came uh, five years ago, no, six years ago now, um, to visit you guys Easter of 2014. We came down and visited. Um, so I'm Eric, this is Bethany, this is Leslie. Um, yeah, the, the worship got a little intense for her. She just passed out, you know. Holy Spirit was working on her. So anyway, um, so yeah, we are, we've been pastoring in Hawaii for five years. Um, so we went from Minnesota to Hawaii, and we're going to be heading to East Africa um, to work as missionaries. Bethany's originally from Minnesota, um, so that's, you know, for her, it's kind of an adventure. I grew up over there, um, so I'm, you know, everyone, when I tell them we're going to be going to Tanzania as missionaries, they're all like, oh, you're so brave, we're, you know, you're going overseas. I'm like, oh, that's home for me. You know, Bethany's the brave one. She's the one uh, stepping out of her comfort zone. Um, but we had a, just a really great season in Hawaii. Uh, we got just so much experience in pastoring there. And what we're going to be going to Tanzania to do is to train and teach uh, Tanzanian East African pastors. So we'll be working in Tanzania, Burundi, Congo, Rwanda um, in training pastors and also training missionaries. Uh, my parents have been out there since 1983. In 1985, they started a Bible school um, for training pastors and now there's 20, 20 different Bible schools there in East Africa that they work with. Um, so we get to be a part of that. So that's going to be real fun and exciting. Um, did you want to say something? No? Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so I just want to give you a, just a few quick facts. I'm not going to go on forever. I know sometimes missionaries, we can go on for a really long time about what we're going to be doing. But... Um, just a few quick things, uh, just some, some numbers that are pretty staggering. The church in East Africa, or in sub-Saharan Africa, south of the Sahara, is the fastest growing church in the world. They estimate that by 2060, four out of every ten Christians in the world is going to be sub-Saharan African. Um, four out of ten, so that's almost half. Half of all Protestants in the world will be sub-Saharan African. That's just how fast it's growing. It's going to be... Um, so, in the, in the not-too-distant future, the majority of Protestant Christians are going to be Christians. Um, I mean, the majority of Protestant Christians are going to be Africans. And um, so, it's really important that, you know, they get good Bible teaching, good doctrine, uh, good... good um, just good, solid foundations. Uh, because that really... The African church is going to shape the world church in a lot of ways. Um, so it's, it's really taking off. In fact, the church is growing so fast that they estimate there's going to be 15 million new believers per year um, on, for the next 45 years. And so that means you need to train about 153,000 pastors every year. So it's a huge need. Um, and for every, you know... In, in the U.S., it's about every 200, you have a trained Christian leader for about every 250 people. Outside of the U.S., it's every uh, 200,000 people, there's a trained Christian leader. Um, so there's just this huge need for leadership, for, um, for training, for equipping the Tanzanian church. 
We're not going over there to plant churches. We're not going over there to do the evangelism. The church is doing a fantastic job of that already. Uh, We don't need to go teach them that. They really know how to do it, and they're doing a really great job at it. Um, But what we're going over there to do is to to teach and to train pastors. And then the second thing we'll be doing is training Tanzanian missionaries. Tanzanians to go as missionaries to unreached people groups. An unreached people group is basically a tribe or a people group that doesn't have a church that can reach their own people. You know, like here in Esterville, you've got at least a few churches that can reach their own people. There are, there are whole tribes, some of these tribes, some of these nationalities, um, as many as like a million people with no church amongst them. And so one of the things that we're going to be doing while we're out there is training Tanzanians to go as missionaries, to take their awesome evangelism, church planting skills to other tribes, other people groups, Islamic people groups, um, animistic people groups, and make disciples there. Um, so we're really excited for the opportunity. Um, the, the country we'll be working in, mostly Tanzania, it has 24 unreached people groups there. And my parents have already been doing this mission school for a few years now. So now there's 41 national missionaries working amongst unreached people groups. And uh, there's one in, uh, there's actually even one all the way up in Tunisia. They're working in Sudan, Tunisia. So a lot of these countries that are really close to like Western missionaries, they, they see these Tanzanians because Tanzania is 35% Muslim. And so a lot of the, the Islamic world thinks of Tanzanians as, oh, you know, they're not, you know, they're not here to change us. They're not here to bring their Western ways. And so they can get into a lot of these closed countries where people like me, you know, they spot me and they're like, no way, you know. <laughs> so um, so it's, a, it's an opportunity. It's just a great opportunity, and we're excited to be a part of it. Um, out in the back, we have a little sign-up sheet. We have some of our brochures. Please take one of those. Uh, it's got some prayer points, how you can pray for us, how you can uh, pray with us. And... Um, and then we've also got just a sign-up sheet out there. Of, you can sign up to get our newsletter, our email. Um, otherwise, you can just look us up on Facebook and you know, send us a little friend request saying, I, I'm from Esterville, um, and I heard you come speak. Um, so yeah, so we're just, we're really excited. We're, we, we appreciate all your prayers. Uh, we hope to be heading over sometime in the fall. Um, so yeah, it's going to be good. So um, thankfully, so Eric's parents, um, Nathan and Karen Rasmussen, they are still working over there. And so we have the, the privilege to be, um, Eric's going to be working with his dad and sort of learning from him and training with him. Um, so, and thankfully God is already, you know, is laying the foundation for us to come. We have uh, a place already that we're going to be living. We have a vehicle already waiting for us. So, you know, God is already putting together a lot of these pieces for us to sort of like hit the ground running when we're there. And so um, we're just thankful for all that God's doing. And I'm going to be mostly working on learning Swahili and um, getting settled in there. But, you know, Eric's parents are going to be living next door to us. So we'll have babysitters, grandparents next door, which is awesome. But um, we're just really thankful to be here and excited to share what God is doing in the world. It's, it's amazing, and, um, and it's just so amazing to be able to, to be a part of building God's church. So thank you so much for having us here, and we are looking forward to get to know you better after service.
And Leslie, if she was awake, she would have a lot to say, but she's, you know. <laughs> Amen. Well, thank you guys. So we appreciate your prayers. Um, let's pray before we go to the Word. God, we just thank you that you still speak today. God, that you're not a God who stopped speaking when the Bible stopped being written, but Lord, that you have a word for us today. And God, I pray that as I bring this word to this congregation, God, that it would just be a word in season. God, even the songs that we were singing today about going all out for you, about following you without, you know, without holding anything back, God, I pray that you would make us that kind of church. Lord, I pray just that you would drive out any lukewarmness, that you would drive out any just um, compromise in our lives. But Lord, that we would be totally sold out for you. Not because of what you can give us, but because of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, as you can see, we have our little baby, Leslie. And so, you know, she's six months old, so obviously she's going to be a sermon illustration. Uh, You know, you can't be a dad and not use your daughter as a sermon illustration when she's six months old. But those first two months when she was born, I got to say, I I felt a little used. You know, she wasn't really, you know, she's at a really fun age now where she's interacting. And, you know, we had her at the hotel sitting up on the the hotel bed and she just kind of balances there and she's, you know, her head's bobbing around. And then she just looks up at you like just big old smile on her face. And when she wakes up in the morning and you go over to the edge of the crib, you can hear her just kind of, she does this thing where she flaps her legs, just slams her legs down really hard. And that's like, I'm awake now. And she also scratches the sheets, just kind of, so you just hear, and she starts laughing. And then you go and peek over the edge of the crib and she just looks up, you know, big old smile. So she's, she's a lot of fun now. But I got to say, those first couple months, She's just kind of like a blank slate, you know. She, she just had this expression on her face all the time like she was really worried about something. You know, that, that, that newborn expression of just kind of just looking around like, oh, what is going on? You know, we're all going to die. And, uh, and, and, and pretty much Bethany and I, we were just, you know, it was the milkmaid and the pooper scooper. And we, she didn't interact with us a whole lot. She didn't have a whole lot to say to us. She didn't really, um, there was no real relationship there. She just kind of was this blank slate just staring up. You know, the only time she laughed or smiled was if she had gas. And, and now she's laughing, she's smiling, there's a relationship there, and we enjoy it. Well, you know, Christians, a lot of times when we first come to Christ, we're just like that newborn. You know, we, we're, we're, we come to Christ because we need something. We need our marriage to be fixed. We need emotional healing. We need all these different things. We need provision. And so that's how most of us came to Christ, right? We came to Christ because we had a problem, and we said, Jesus, can you fix this problem for me? Whether it's your marriage is breaking down, whether it's just you realize, oh, man, I'm just... I can't, I can't get freedom from my sin. I need freedom. I need something. And so we all come to Christ with this, this need of, oh, God, if you'll help me out with this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Anybody ever pray that prayer before? God, if you'll, if you'll just save me, if you'll just help me, 
If you ever lose a child, I've heard that there are lots of prayers like that that go up. You know, you're walking through the mall and you lose the kid and it's like, oh, God, if you'll just help me find this kid, I'll go to church again. I haven't talked to you since eighth grade, but well, I'll, I'll do whatever I can to, 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 to serve you. And a lot of us, we come to Jesus like that. And uh, I'm going to read from John chapter 6 today. I had a little bit of a panic attack last night because I realized that Pastor David is doing a series on the I Ams. And just two weeks ago, he preached on I Am the Bread of Life. And I was like, oh no, that's my sermon for tomorrow. And uh, so I, li- I listened to it and I was like, okay, I had to make a few changes here and there. But you know what? I think the Holy, I really do believe that the Holy Spirit put this on my heart for a reason. And so I'm just going to emphasize one aspect of it. Pastor David had a lot of great things to say about it. And I'm just going to draw out one thing from there that, that I really think God put on my heart to share with the church this morning. And uh, so. This is actually kind of in keeping with your series, and we're going to look at I am the bread of life and, and what that means. So we all have this danger of falling in love with the gifts of God rather than with God himself. That's what the Jews did, right? When Jesus, after he feeds the 5,000, it says there in verse, uh, in verse 15 that they wanted to make him king. Jesus said, Jesus perceived that they were going to try and force him to be king. I mean, think about this. You know, this is an oppressed state. This is an oppressed nation. They're under Roman rule. And they're probably thinking, man, this guy can supply our armies with infinite bread. We can march off to Rome. We can defeat the Romans. Because back in those days, one of the hardest things to do was to supply your armies. So this, these Jews, they're probably thinking, man, this is our ticket. He can be our king. He can do miracles. He can probably heal people if they're injured in battle. He can provide us with infinite food. Um, he can be our king, and we can, we can conquer the world with this guy. And they come to him, and Jesus perceives instantly why they're coming to him. You know, he crosses over the lake, and then they follow him across the lake. And he perceives instantly that they're not coming to him because they want him. They're coming to him because they want bread. Right, he says there in, in chapter 6 of John, John chapter 6, verse 25, it says this, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you, um, because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, the God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus calls it out. You know, Jesus could have been happy with the crowds following him. He could have been happy with this, this big crowd of people. And yet he calls out instantly the idolatry that's in their heart. He doesn't let them just sit back and imagine that they're followers of Christ. He puts his finger straight on the issue. He says, you're saying you'll follow me if. You're saying you'll follow me if I provide you with bread. Well, your if is your God in a lot of cases. You know, your if, if you, if you tell God, oh God, I will serve you if, I will serve you as long as, I will serve you as long as you provide this for me, I will do whatever you ask. Whether it's you're single and you're saying, God, if you provide a spouse for me, 
God, if you provide, you know, a, a girlfriend for me, I'll follow you. If you, provide, um, if you provide the right job for me, God, I'll follow you. If you provide good health for me, God, I will serve you. I will follow you. Whatever your if is, that's your real God. And God is just a commodity. God is just a commodity. He's just something. He's a necessary means to an end. He's a necessary means to an end. He's, he's only necessary for getting me what I really want, which is if. God, if you'll, if you'll do this for me, I will do that for you. God, if you'll do this for me, I will follow you. And nobody wants to be a means to an end, right? I mean, how many of you guys want your kids to grow up and stay the same as they were when they were an absolute baby? Like, you're just the milkmaid. Or you're just, you know, you're just the provider. Nobody wants that. You know, you don't want your 20-year-old your kid coming back to you saying, hey, you know, I haven't, no, I haven't spoken to you for six months, but I need a thousand bucks. We want real relationship with our kids. We want real relationship with our family members. And if, if you become just a source, that's not the kind of relationship that you're looking for. And Jesus, he doesn't, he's not looking for that kind of relationship either. And so he tells them some really hard truths. He says, if that's what you're looking for, guess what? You're looking for the wrong thing. He said, you don't need bread that will fill your stomachs for today. You need the bread of life, which is me. You need me in your life. If you... He said in verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. This is, and then jump down to verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. Jesus is saying, desire me above everything else. If you desire me above everything else, then you will have real eternal life. But if you're coming to me because... I'm a means to an end. Guess what? That's not life. I love what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis said, aim for heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim for the earth and you get neither. Aim for heaven. If you, if you say, Jesus, I am all about you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I want to give my life to you and you alone. If that's the cry of your heart, then guess what? Jesus will throw in a whole bunch of other stuff too. But if you aim for the gifts, if you aim for, oh, God, I just need, even if it's something as great as healing, you know, I just need healing in my life. If, if God is your means to an end, guess what? You're not going to get either. And you're going to be left hungering and thirsting and broken without the wholeness that comes from placing Jesus above everything else. If, G, if you have an if, your if is your God. Aim for heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. You'll end up coming up empty. In, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, let's jump over there. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, and we'll read um, 45 and 46 as well. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. 
Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven is worth more than all that you've got. And if you have to sell all that you've got in order to get the kingdom of heaven, it's a wise investment. This man, we don't know a lot about this man who's digging in a field, but maybe he's a poor guy. You know, he's doing manual labor. And he's out working somebody else's field. And as he's working somebody else's field, he finds this treasure. Does some quick calculations, says, okay, I am worth, you know, I'm worth $5,000. Okay. This treasure here is worth at least $200,000. This is not difficult math. I'm going to go home. I'm going to sell everything that I have, liquidate all my assets. I'm going to come back. I'm going to buy this field. It's worth way more than everything that I own. So in the end, I'm going to come out on top. I'm going to come out on top. Because even if it costs me everything, this treasure in this field is worth more than everything I own. That's the math that he's doing. Now imagine, he gets home and he just, starts, he just tells his wife, all right, honey, we're selling everything. Bring your finest jewelry. Bring your, you know, your wardrobe that you've been collecting over the years. Bring uh, your shoe collection, your massive shoe collection. San- well, sandals. Back in those days, it was sandals. So bring your massive sandal collection. We're, we are selling everything. And his wife is probably like, you have been out in the sun way too long, right? You have... <laughs> You need, to, you need to just sit down, drink some water. You're not thinking straight. And then he tells her, no, listen, I found a treasure. And it's worth more than all that we have. It's worth a hundred times more than all that we have. This, the sacrifice that we're about to make, it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. And so she jumps right in. She's like, all right, here's my sandals. Here's my, here's my wedding ring. You can buy me a nicer one later. Uh, you know, everything. They're liquidating it all. And then they go back, they buy the fields, and then they get this treasure, and they're richer than they've ever been in their lives. And they're richer than they've ever been in their lives. I'll never forget this one story that, um, I think it was Tim Keller who told this. He, he was counseling this one young girl, and she, had really, she was a teenager. She had really bad acne, and she was just like, she couldn't get a date. And he's like, he's telling her, he says, listen, you are a co-heir with Christ. When Jesus Christ comes back, you are going to rule and reign with him. You're going you're gonna to walk on streets of gold. You're going you to be praising God in the presence, in his very presence. His face is going to shine upon you for all of eternity. And she looked at him and she said, what good is all that if you're not popular? What good is all that if you're not popular? And, and church, can we be honest? Sometimes that's how we live, right? You know, we, we have all of those things. We are co-heirs with Christ. We're going to rule and reign with him for eternity when he comes back. We, we have all the riches of heaven are promised to us. I mean, think about that for just a second. Co-heirs with Christ. That's a big, big deal. That is a huge deal. And, and the fact that, you know, that, that Paul attributes that to everybody in the church. Slave, free, male, female, everybody in the church co-heirs with Christ. We, we get all the riches of Christ given to us. 
if only we put him above everything else. You know, if we, if we have anything else in that if spot, that God, I will serve you if, God, I will serve you as long as, if anything else is in that spot, then guess what? We're serving idols. You know, the Jews would have been extremely offended if Jesus had come out and said, bread is your idol. Because they considered themselves an idolless people. They don't have, we don't have idols. You know, all these pagan nations around us, yeah, they've got idols. We don't have idols. It's kind of like in America today. You know, we don't have idols, right? We don't, we don't have, like, you don't go home and find in somebody's basement, like, this physical statue that they're hiding from the pastor because they don't want the pastor to know about this, this little statue that they worship on the weekends, you know, on Monday. Um, we don't have those, really, okay? If you do, Talk to Pastor David, because we need some deliverance, okay? But, <laughs> but, but we don't have physical idols, but we got plenty. We got plenty of non-physical idols. We got plenty of, of little idols, that have, little and big idols that are set up in our lives. In church, I don't think the, the, the major... Um, the major thing that... that sa- the major weapon that Satan uses against the American church... He doesn't have to use witchcraft. He doesn't have to use all these other things. He uses distraction. And he says, just, just a little bit of this, you know, just, a, just, enjoy, you know, just Netflix and chill for eight hours. Just, <laughs> he uses distraction. Oh, and, I mean, you can't even turn on a football game without just being bombarded by the message of, if you don't have this, you won't be happy. If you don't have this, if you don't have the latest Lexus or whatever car it is, you know, how, many, how many car commercials do you have to sit through when you're watching a football game? Like so many car commercials because it's like, if you don't have this car, you won't be happy. If you don't have this, you won't be happy. If you don't have this, you won't be fulfilled. If, you don't, if you're not taking this drug, you're not going to be a complete person. You're going to be itching and scratching at your eczema the rest of your life. If you have eczema, I'm not saying that you can't take stuff for it. But (laughs) (laughs) So what can we do if we recognize that we have an if in our lives? What can we do if we recognize, man, there is an idol in my life? I do follow God in order to get something. You know Sometimes I wonder if we don't see more miracles in our churches because we want the miracles too much. And we're coming to God for the miracle instead of coming to God for himself. And we're saying, God, hey, we need to see more healings. And, I mean, I'm not against healing. I've I've seen healings happen. But sometimes I wonder if the reason why we don't see more of them is because we're chasing after the healing instead of chasing after God himself. And we're saying, God... Come on, bring a miracle. Bring something stupendous. And, and, you know, especially sometimes in charismatic circles, you know. I grew up Pentecostal. I grew, you know, we're charismatic. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we're chasing after the experience instead of chasing after God. The exper- you know, the, the experience will come. The Holy Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit, it comes. And those are not bad things to seek. But if we are seeking those at the expense of seeking the presence and power and of God in our lives, that is a problem. You know, we, we need to desire Him above absolutely everything. You know, um, Augustine, Augustine said that idols, an idol is just a good thing that you've made into an ultimate thing. 
an idol is just a good thing, and you've taken it out of the place of, man, that's a good thing, and you've made it ultimate. Our society, it does that with everything. Romance, right? Romance, love is a good thing. I love my wife. She is amazing. She's incredible and beautiful. But if I took her and I put her in the place of ultimate, that is the ultimate meaning, the ultimate goal of my life is to, is to marry that woman and have a good marriage. That becomes an idol. That becomes an idol. In, um, in John chapter 6, let's go back there. John chapter 6, verse 63. Actually, let's go to verse 40 before we go to verse 63. John chapter 6, verse 40 says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Looks on the sun. Everybody who fixes their gaze, fixes their eyes on the sun, everything else becomes inconsequential. It's just fixing your eyes on the sun. He is the goal. He is the prize. He is the treasure hidden in a field that I am living for. I'm not following him so that, Jesus, if you'll give me this. No, I'm saying, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I'm following after you. Jesus, I want you to be the greatest thing in my life. I want you to be the most powerful, the most powerful drive in my life. You know, Paul said the love of Christ compels us in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said the love of Christ compels us. That means to be pushed upon from every side so that you only have one choice of a direction to go. It's kind of like a bullet being pushed out the end of a gun. You know, there's powder exploding behind it. There, there's steel walls on either side of it, and it can only go in one direction. If the love of Christ becomes the most powerful thing in your life, it will compel you to reach out to the world around you. It'll push you to reach out to the world around you. But, but the flesh is absolutely no help in doing that. You can you can walk out of this room and say, okay, I am going to just will myself to want God above everything else. I'm going to just will myself to, to seek Jesus above everything else. And that'll last till Monday, right? That'll last for a little while because you're going to say, you know, I'm just going to make myself love God with everything that I have in me. Now, I'm not saying there's no part, no place for discipline. There's no place for, for getting into good habits. But, but if, if you're just walk out of these doors and say, okay, I'm going to make God king in my life. I'm going to make him the greatest desire of my whole life. If you walk out of these doors and try that, good luck. It's going to last not very long. But in verse 63 of John chapter 6, Jesus says this, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But, but there are some of you who do not believe. The Spirit, in Romans chapter 8, it says, God's Spirit cries out in our hearts, Abba, Father. Right? God's Spirit in, in our hearts, Abba, Father. You know, that, that word Abba is the most, it's like the most intimate term for a father that you can imagine. You know, this is, the picture is, you know, when dad gets home from work or from a long trip, what do all the kids do? They rush him, right? They rush him, they tackle him, 
And that's the first words that come out of their mouth is just, Daddy's home. You know, they're just running to go tackle him. And if you're a kid like me, you'd be like, Daddy's home, tackle him, and then be like, what'd you bring me? But that's not what we want to be. <laughs> that's like, that's the opposite of what we want to be. But, but you know, that, that just that sheer excitement of Daddy is here. God is here. Our Father is here. That's one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in our hearts is He... He, he brings these things out of us. He, bring, he realigns our passions so that our passions can be right. So that our passion, our desire for Jesus can be just as powerful and just as strong as our desire for everything else. Stronger. Way stronger. The Spirit in us makes us dissatisfied with idols. Anybody here as I've been talking, you've just been recognizing, man, I have been doing that. I have been saying, God... If you'll do this for me, then I'll follow you. And there's a little fire waking up inside of you and going, oh, man, I don't want to live like that. I want to make God my desire. I want to make God first in my life. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. That's the Holy Spirit touching your heart. That's the Holy Spirit moving you towards loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Only the Spirit can do that. Let's go over to Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 17. We'll close with this. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, it says this, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. We've received the spirit of sonship. Let's be good sons and daughters. Not sons and daughters who come to our Father only when we want to get something but sons and daughters who come to our Father simply for the sheer enjoyment of His presence, simply for the sheer enjoyment of who He is, not just what He can do for us. God does incredible stuff for us. I'm not going to deny that. You know, God has, I, I feel like I'm the most richly blessed man in the world. And yet, if I start chasing after God and saying, God, thank you for all of this, Thank you for all of this, and this is why I'm following you, right? God, I knew that if I was just faithful to you, if I just served you, you would do me right. You know, you would do right by me, and I would, and I would enjoy all the blessings. If, if that becomes my attitude, then I've really missed it, and I've become an idolater. God wants to build in us a passionate fire for him. Not for all the stuff that he offers us, but a passionate desire for him himself. And, and church, if we, become that, if we become that, then that's how we can win our community. Because if we're just Christians with, you know, and we're just coming to God saying, God, if you'll provide me with a nicer car, a nicer house, a nicer this, a nicer that, we're really just changing characters, but we're doing the same play. Right? It's the same movie as the rest of the... It's, the... it's the American dream repackaged. 
instead of God's kingdom dream, we're just repackaging the American dream and saying, if you go to God, he'll give you all that stuff. Instead of, if you work harder, he'll, you'll get all that stuff. Church, let's, let's live for the king. Let's live for the kingdom. Let's give ourselves. And, and church, if you've recognized in your heart today, man, I have an if. I have an if. I, you know, if, if God took this away from me, I don't know what I would do. Whether it's your job, whether it's your family, whether it's, it's anything. If God took that away, man, I would just fall apart. If you recognize that you have an if in your life, just hold it up to God. Be honest with him. Say, God, there is an idol in my life. There is something that I, there's a good thing that I've taken and I have exalted it to the place of, of, um, of ultimate. I've taken this good thing and I've put it in, a, in the place of ultimate. God, take that. And he won't necessarily take it out of your life. I'm not saying like if you love your wife, God's going to just remove your wife so that you stop loving her, okay? But, but God wants to realign our hearts, right? He wants to realign our hearts so that we can, we can have all those things in our lives, and yet they don't rule us. They don't master us. They're not in charge of us. We can follow God as Job said, you know, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is given and the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we can get to that place where, we're, where we want to bless God's name Come rain, come shine in the, in the good place, in the streams or in the desert. We're able to bless the name of God. Church, let's, let's chase after this. If you recognized in your heart today that there's an idol, that there's something that you've been chasing after, I, I just challenge you today, just tell the Holy Spirit about it. Tell the Holy Spirit and say, God, I've been, I, I recognize there is an idol in my life. I have an if, I have a condition on following you. God, I want, to make, I want you to make me a wholehearted follower of you. And the Holy Spirit, he can come into your heart and he can realign your passions and realign your desires so that, so that you're not coming to Jesus for the bread. We all came to Jesus for the bread, right? We all came to Jesus because we had, we had a problem that we needed fixed. But now he wants us to stay, not for the bread, but for the relationship. He wants us to stay because... He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and he is worth knowing. He is worth being close to. Amen? Pastor David.